Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Ayurvedic beauty practices. So much of what we come to love about beauty rituals and beauty practices today are rooted in core Ayurvedic teachings and habits and practices. And so I I wanted to have this episode to educate myself and to educate all of our listeners on, you know, some of these core teachings. And to do so, I had on a woman who I consider to be one of the foremost experts of Ayurvedic beauty, the founder of Uma Oils. Uh, So without further ado, I will introduce Shranka Holacek. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Alex. So kind of you for that wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. Well, I I know that I have heard your story a few times uh, because, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting you and chatting with you before. But in case any of our listeners don't don't know your story or don't necessarily know the brand, you know, I would love for you to take a second and, you know, introduce us to yourself and and, you know, your journey into the beauty industry. So as you mentioned, my name is Shrankla Holochak. Uh, I am the founder and CEO of Uma Oils. Um, I was born and raised primarily in India in an Ayurvedic household uh, where much of the practices that I might talk about were um, established as foundational practices. Um, I went on to boarding school, engineering school, and eventually came to the United States for business school, after which I worked for a consulting firm for many years before starting UMA. And as I thought about the question about getting into the quote-unquote beauty industry, I think it was a little bit accidental and a little bit comical because I really was unprepared to tackle the quote-unquote beauty industry as I entered it. Um, I thought about beauty more in terms of the foundational elements of Ayurvedic beauty, organic beauty, uh, organic ingredients, uh, without necessarily thinking about the brass tacks of how to run a beauty business. But I suppose this is as good of a time as any to give a big, big shout out to all the tremendous women and men who've helped me along and given me a big leg up uh, throughout this journey. People like yourself who have been so kind to talk about Ayurveda and a small beauty brand like ours and help educate customers, which I would argue is the most important part of any brands and especially Ayurveda's journey, the education portion of it. I want to ask because, you know, you you have a little bit of this winding path into the beauty industry, but I, I'm curious when you look back at your life and, you know, you look back at the journey that led you here, are, do you have any formative memories or experiences that that shaped your relationship with beauty and kind of led you down this path? It's, it's a great question. And as I saw it, I did ponder um, um, about what pieces were the formative pieces, because as I think back to being five or seven or 10, there was definitely um, an influence of very, very natural practices, you know, down from 
uh, hair oiling and gommages on the body to uh, a general skepticism of um, a lot of chemicals in, uh, in what we used uh, for skincare and beauty down to, you know, moving to the States and being very enamored with everything that was high tech and experimenting with all of that. I would say my experience with some of that was just as important in helping me go back to the roots because the understanding of the yin and yang, east and west, uh, really helped me find a balance in terms of what I wanted to create with Uma. And, uh, and what I believed was uh, a void, for lack of a better word, in the marketplace when it came to Ayurvedic ingredients. What is your beauty philosophy? I think it is mired in simplicity and beauty from within in a big way, uh, trite as that might sound. But with my experience with Ayurveda, I have found it to be very, very true and potent in that anything that you do for your health, well-being, and truly the skin's health from underneath will magnify any efforts uh, in very, very profound ways. Whether, you know, you use high-tech creams, Botox, any, you know, lasers, if your skin is healthier underneath, that can be done with integrating simple but powerful Ayurvedic practices, all those things are going to show tenfolds of results. And uh, that's something that has stuck with me and become more and more um, profound and meaningful as I have gotten older. Mm. And what is your well-being philosophy? You know, there's a lot of simplicity um, in that, uh, I like to think, but brass stacks, you know, good sleep, good food. Ayurveda lays a lot of emphasis on fresh food. And I have found that the fresher I am eating, the more vibrant uh, I am feeling mentally, physically. So there are these tenets that I try to integrate, whether it is short meditations, I find meditations pretty hard, but I force them, uh, force myself to do them sleeping enough, um, eating fresh, healthy food. I think those have very, uh, they manifest in very brilliant ways in the body. So as long as you're doing these three or four things, I think chances are you're going to feel pretty vibrant and, um, and good in terms of well-being. You know, and like I mentioned earlier in the intro, today's episode, we're going to be talking about Ayurvedic rituals and um, teachings and and how they intersect with the beauty world. Um, and, you know, you mentioned that you grew up in an Ayurvedic household and it is kind of this foundation uh, of which you've built, you know, your your life and your, your company upon. Um, but, you know, I'm curious... At what point did you decide that you wanted to uh, go back and, you know, uh, root your life in in your heritage in this way? You know, was it was it a journey? Was there a moment that you know you felt called back to? I I'm curious how how that happened. I think it was uh, 
in part a practical decision based on all the information I was garnering about beauty in the West, as well as what I felt would be a positive, accretive uh, body of knowledge to be introduced to beauty practices in the West. And I think a big part of it was also emotional uh, slash uh, growing up in accepting who I truly was. There was, I think, a small part of me or maybe a big part of me growing up that may have been slightly embarrassed of my heritage as someone who came from, you know, organic farm-based products and these philosophies, uh, as opposed to, you know, the engineering and the business degrees that I had done. And I think as I grew up, I stepped back and realized that they were all part of the same spectrum, that it was an amalgamation of who I was. And it just took some growing up to accept that, to be able to put it forth in uh, what I felt was an authentic way. So um, as I took in all this information about uh, people and how they truly sought um, authentic information about um, Ayurveda, whether it was beauty philosophies or well-being philosophies, meditation philosophies, those are areas Ayurveda really, really shines. And then as people started to look more into ingredients, it was only natural they were going to look at naturally based skincare products. Again, another area of true Ayurvedic heritage and expertise. And uh, um, in realizing that I had access personally as well as access to some brilliant practitioners who really were mired in the science of Ayurveda and practical result-oriented medicine, um, I felt that I could add something in this very, very glutted beauty industry as, <laughs> as we know and, you know, Anyone who asks the question, do we need another beauty product is asking a very fair question. I did feel like um, with this heritage of Ayurveda, as well as this access, uh, we may have a unique point of view. Yeah, you know, you certainly do. And um, I, I remember many, many, many years ago when I was first introduced to the brand, I, I feel like it was right when you guys like were on the market. I mean, I, I was at Self Magazine at the time, so I would have been fairly, you know, early on in my career. And I just remember it felt, I, I remember, I truly, I remember having the bottle in my hand um, of the oil and being like, wow, this feels like uh, something that it feels so new and needed. And, um, and it felt like um, it was a brand that was coming into this space with truly a fresh and strong point of view um, that was rooted, like you know, you're saying in Ayurveda, and that wasn't really something that I had seen before. Um, it was it was certainly not something that I I had seen a brand do in the in this way um, on on a larger level, like yourself and that can be a challenge to enter a space where you are one of the first to be, you know, re-educating the public on 
on, um, you know, a tradition uh, or a means of practice like Ayurveda. So I can imagine through the years, as you've been educating the Western beauty space on Ayurveda, you probably run into a lot of misconceptions or misteachings and just basically ways that we perhaps have not gotten it fully accurate. So I'm curious, you know, what have been the biggest roadblocks in your education journey um, when when you were trying to, you know, teach people the true traditions of Ayurveda? That's a fantastic question. And uh, I would say sometimes I, I get worried about uh, people missing uh, the forest from the trees when they scratch the surface of Ayurveda and potentially stop because of not uh, attempting to personalize it for their journey. Ayurveda is a deeply personal science uh, because it starts with the concept of doshas and very much celebrates your individuality. So while we start the process of education, which needs to be done in some senses in a universal way. But what we hope to leave people with is the idea of celebrating their individuality and exploring that a little bit more. So unlike sometimes in the West, you know, there are celebrated one-size-fits-all ingredients. You know, everyone loves a great retinol. Everyone loves a great XYZ. With Ayurveda, there is the emphasis on let's explore what works for you in particular. You know, if you're a vata dosha, which, you know, doshas, there are three of vata, pitta, kapha. Yeah. Why don't we take a second and, um, you know, just chat about doshas. I, I feel like our listenership may have a broad understanding of what these are, but just in case if anybody doesn't, or they just, you know, need to reacclimate themselves on what doshas are, can you, can you explain this, uh, this concept to us? Of course. Um, so Ayurveda believes all of the universe and everything in it is basically made up of five elements, which present in our bodies as three doshas. Each dosha is a combination of elements. So, uh, so, Fire and water make up pitta. I'm deliberately going out of order to make it stick a little bit. And um, uh, pitta is a fiery sign. It uh, tends to present itself in a constitution as medium-built individuals, um, olive skin, everything sort of middle down the line. And these people tend to be eloquent speakers, slightly prone to irritability and tend to run hot. So, you know, these are the uh, people who get sunburned faster, have heartburn when out of balance. Um, then you've got vata, which is air and ether. And these are the creatives, just as air and ether suggest, they are uh, highly air-esque in terms of they tend to often be waif-like uh, in their appearance. Um, interestingly, vatas do present as extremes, either kind of thin and on the shorter side or exceptionally tall. Um, hair tends to be on the drier 
frizzier side. These are people who typically have a tendency to uh, not put on weight. And also when vata is a little bit imbalanced, trouble sleeping, um, excessive thinking, worrying. And finally, you have kapha, which is stable and sturdy, the earth and water sign in terms of elements. Um, and uh, they tend to be a little bit statuesque, a little bit slow moving, uh, but steady in their thinking. And uh, when out of balance, this dosha gets a little bit oilier in the skin. So Acne tends, acne and clogged skin tends to be a kapha imbalance. Also, a little bit of putting on weight, um, being uh, a little bit slower to move, a um, little bit greedy and possessive. Those are emotional imbalances of the kapha type. The one thing I'd like to call out that people um, tend to overlook is all of our bodies have all three doshas. Now, what your predominant dosha means is that's the one that expresses the most in your body. And you have the highest likelihood of going in, out of balance on that dosha. But doesn't mean that if you're a pitta type, you can't have vata imbalances such as anxiety or poor sleep or kapha imbalances such as, uh, such as acne. So lifestyle, food choices can greatly impact the dosha that you were born with uh, and sometimes bring you out of balance in the do in other doshas in your body. So it's always important to keep that, the concept of all of us have all three and uh, we need to keep all three in balance uh, when approaching life, food, lifestyle choices. And understanding that, recognizing that and tailoring your Ayurveda journey based on an understanding of your dosha, as well as the fact that you have all three doshas, can make your journey work that much harder, better, faster for you, rather than sort of like, this is the it ingredient and it's going to work for everyone. So yes, a full circle um, back to that journey of Ayurveda and what people should recognize and tailor to when, uh, when starting on that journey. You know, you mentioned balance and balance is obviously such a core teaching in Ayurveda. Can you explain what balance is within the context of this? You know, we, we talked about doshas um, and I know that that plays a role, but you know, it's just, I think balance can mean a lot of different things depending on the context that you're talking about it with. So, you know, I'm curious what balance is in Ayurveda. You are absolutely right in that balance means a lot of things. And uh, in the world we live in today, I'll be perfectly honest, that balance is fragile and a bit of a panacea because um, our environment has a very, very meaningful impact on our bodies per Ayurveda. Again, going back to the fact that we're all made up of these elements that interact and just the environment we live in is uh, is not one that uh, lends itself to balance. So I want to call out that uh, if you feel imbalanced, uh, don't knock yourself hard because a lot of it is uh, an imbalance that is being lent on or sort of impressed upon our bodies 
because of the world we live in and just the food, water, relationships we have access to, which aren't necessarily the best and the purest. With that said, what does Ayurvedic balance look like? Uh, I would start with Ayurvedic balance starts with food in, in Ayurveda and within reason, eating for your body type while eating fresh and seasonally. Seasonally is also very important in that, you know, if avocados are not in season, they are probably not the most nutritional things to put in your body. But starting that journey of balance with, with food is going to be the first one to build balance and also bring your body back into balance. The second thing would be the emotional balance, which is um, a lot a, through relationships, B, by practicing the idea of release. Um, most amount of toxins we see built up in the body is because of suppressed emotion right now. Um, in the West, uh, emotions are not something that we have encouraged expression of. And that has left, uh, left us as a society of repressed emotions that are getting... Um, suppressed in certain parts of our body, such as the spleen, liver, and leading to a lot of disease. Now, when I say release and observe your, uh, uh, your emotions, it's not necessarily throwing tantrums. It's about uh, acknowledging your emotion, letting it play out and observing it, um, which many of us are covering up via alcohol or movies or, you know, finding another thing to think about as opposed to uh, acknowledging and releasing. And the third thing is sort of lifestyle balance. Lots of things around sleeping hours, waking up hours. And I don't want to sort of launch into quote-unquote prescriptive advice because this is something I'd like for listeners to explore via their doshic journeys because vata types can afford to sleep in an hour longer, whereas kapha types should start earlier in the morning. The, the, the breathing meditation practices depend upon doshas, things like that. So those you know, are things that will help bring balance into your life. I realize I didn't answer the question of balance, instead led into what will bring uh, you into balance. But they go hand in hand. I can understand why you started the answer the way you did. <laughs> it's, it's a tough question, but, you know, I'll try to answer it in many ways. Chicken and the egg scenario. It's like, how do you answer it without talking about how you get there? You know, it's... <laughs> Indeed, and especially because all imbalance leads to small and big diseases in the body. You know, when you are very, very um, imbalanced then you might need a panchakarma, which is sort of like the OG Ayurvedic detox done under the care of an Ayurvedic physician, takes about two weeks. And chances are I'd recommend you go to India to do it. And that's when you know you're dealing with very difficult, uh, often chronic illnesses in your body. And that is big imbalances that have led to imbalances in all your doshas. But when you're in balance, you are um, 
thinking right, you're focused on your work, you are sleeping right, your skin is behaving as it should, you are kind to the world, the people around you, to, uh, you know, you're not feeling things like um, lots of anger, or as I mentioned, greed, or uh, possessiveness, or anxiety, um, things like that. So the first thing about knowing you're in balance is you you feel quote unquote disease free and diseases can be big or small. And the first signs of imbalance express themselves, you know, in small things like heartburn or, or anxiety or breathlessness, um, uh, etc. So this fragile balance that we seek is very, very intuitive. I think that all of us have the gift of knowing it. And the sooner we respond to that intuition of knowing something is remiss and fix it via these diet, lifestyle practices, the farther away from a panchakarma need um, you will be, which is not, you know, I don't mean to make panchakarma sound alarming, but just saying that, you know, it can really help reset your life. But a lot of us don't have two weeks to take off. So the quicker you fix some of these things before they become bigger, the better it is in your life. Yeah, don't let it snowball. Good advice. I um, I, I love that answer. And I loved how complex that answer was because it really, it, it illuminates how much thought and how many various aspects of your life falls into these teachings and falls into, you know, how we take care of ourselves. Um, you know, we around here, we always say everything is skincare, right? You know, from what you eat to how much you sleep to how you move your body. And I, I think Ayurvedic teachings uh, illuminate that as well, you know, because how, how you take care of your skin uh, in Ayurvedic beauty is influenced with everything that you do, which I think is really important to acknowledge. And I think it's, it's such a beautiful sentiment, but one part of how you take care of your skin and Ayurvedic beauty and Ayurvedic teachings is actually what you're putting on it and the rituals that you use. So, you know, I'm curious because beauty routines are so personalized and so individualized, how do you help guide people to finding something that is best suited for them and, you know, what sort of ingredients they should be looking for? Um, because like you said, in the West, we're so used to just being like, no, here's a universal routine for everybody. Um, but that doesn't necessarily hold true here. So how, how do you guide people? Another great question. And one that we backed into often by looking at potential symptoms that may be pointing to, to uh, the, the imbalance slash anomaly. And again, it's not a perfect answer because in an ideal world, we would all consult with an Ayurvedic physician and understand what might be the cause of our acne, which as I mentioned earlier, that usually is a kapha imbalance. Now, the kapha imbalance can manifest in the body due to a variety of different reasons, which is again, best worked with, with a practitioner possibly. But when you look at certain symptoms, chances are high that it is emanating from a certain kind of doshic imbalance. And then you recommend 
practices slash ingredients that help that doshic imbalance. For instance, you know, to, to stay on acne, it is typically a lot of uh, kaphic imbalance with a little bit of vata because vata tends to exacerbate poor sleep overthinking, which then sends your hormones into the kind of drive. But at a skincare level, we look at uh, things like tea tree, neem, clary sage, um, certain kinds of muds like multani mitti, clove, to A, apply topically um, in terms of masks or in terms of facial massage oils. Secondarily, we'll look at steaming. Steaming is a very powerful practice that done with the right ingredients can really nourish, detox, and rejuvenate the skin. So mint leaves um, and steaming the skin with mint leaves is something that I would recommend in the case of kaphic imbalance. Facial massage, all sorts of massages are uh, are very, very helpful in the body, but a facial massage helps both detox and rejuvenate the skin. People forget that a body massage and things like garshana, which is uh, which is now basically dry brushing, can really help move lymphatic fluid, um, detox the body, as well as boost even the skin's immunity. Uh, in a big way, followed by, you know, a really nice warming oil massage done with sesame or um, or sunflower oil can actually help the skin on your face. Um, sometimes acne is a result of, um, of buildup on your scalp and dandruff. And rubbing a little bit of lemon on the scalp can actually help get rid of that acne, uh, that dandruff that'll help get rid of uh, of acne. So it is a three or four part, you know, home care ritual that we would advise uh, for uh, for something specific as acne. But as you think about, uh, about your holistic skincare, whether it is, I feel like, you know, my skin is prematurely aging, which might be a vata imbalance. In that case, what we will bring in is more of fats to do skincare massages with more uh, saffron in terms of introducing the steam, um, things like that. But it is at the end of the day, a few basic things where we'll switch up the ingredients such as facial oil massage, um, garshana, body oil massages, hair oil massages, facial uh, uh, masks, um, you know, whether it is made with avocado and coconut oil or something that brings in a little bit of clarifying ingredient profile or cooling ingredient profiles such as um, cucumber, tomato, rose water. All of these things will um, come together to form the basis of your Ayurvedic skincare journey. I want to ask a little bit more specifically, I, you know, we, we spent Sometime on acne, and we definitely covered, you know, the basics of what you need to know in general. Um, but as somebody whose skin does get irritated, I do want to ask you <laughs> what what sort of practices that I should be doing. It's I sometimes I feel bad for my listeners because I'm like I use this podcast to be like, what should I do in particular? <laughs> I, while it's kind of you too. <laughs> Throwing that caveat, it it really is incredible how 
how much skin suffers from sensitivity right now. Well, you know, for reasons that I already touched on, it's an aggravating environment in a very big way. But um, uh, things to think about are cooling and nourishing. So starting with cooling, I love the idea of rose water, cucumber, um, and anything that uh, either uh, imports literally physical cooling, such as uh, ice packs made of uh, of these things, or cooling rose water, cucumber water, applying it to the skin, or leaving on what Ayurveda considers cooling ingredients for long-term use on the skin. Sandalwood is one of my favorites, okay? That is a very uh, redness removing on the skin and actually reparative at a level. So anything that you might find with sandalwood, there's also banana that would be very, very cooling, emollient on the skin. Generally speaking, aggravated skin also shows some signs of wear and tear because it, it feels a little bit exposed. And in that case, oils really, really help repair it back to health and nourishment. So I love things with pomegranate oil, which is very readily accepted by skin. Sometimes I find people with aggravated skin also struggle a little bit with rosacea and are nervous about oils. Uh, but pomegranate is, you know, zero on the comedogenicity skin uh, scale, very well accepted uh, by all skin types and really feels very serum-like. So I love things with uh, pomegranate um, oil to repair and heal aggravated skin. I do love any tools that might impart a cooling influence on the skin. You know, a Kansa wand can be great. Um, leave your um, gua sha tool in the fridge for a little bit before using it. Things such as that. And, uh, and I think, you know, these are basic rules, but like uh, face masks made with young coconut water um, or uh, banana or even things like tomato watermelon can actually really cool skin down and uh, prevent that aggravation that uh, that you might be feeling. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll do all those things. And you know, baby steps. Don't, I know there was a lot in there, but just doing two or three things at a time can really, really help. You know, maybe freeze some, uh, some uh, cucumber and coconut water cubes or do one cooling gua sha tool at a time. And you'll really see your skin respond very favorably. I like to think. I do love the tip of cooling your tools before using them, which kind of guides me into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is more about the um, the rituals and the tools that um, Ayurvedic practice encourages. You know, we've certainly talked about them already in the episode, you know, them being massages, dry brushing, et cetera. Um, but I wanted to spend a little bit more time on them just because, you know, I, I think that these are rituals that have become much more popular in the beauty space, but um, perhaps people don't necessarily know how to fully incorporate them into their routine. And I think that 
you know, dry brushing is a perfect example of that, um, where I think there's still a little bit of, you know, um, misunderstandings on how it should be folded into the routine and who should be using it and who is it best for. And so, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, what does your routine look like and how do you encourage people to, to do it in their own lives if they would like to? Certainly. And, you know, starting with, um, with dry brushes, uh, it's most useful for people with a little bit of stagnation in their, uh, in their life or sedentary jobs, etc. Two things to keep in mind about dry brushing I always like to point out is you're trying to move lymphatic fluid. You're not trying to break muscle up or, you know, really get into the skin. So it is light brushes upwards towards the, the heart um, and towards your lymph nodes. Uh, the second thing I like to point out is after you're done with, let's say, uh, a dry brush, quickly try to, you know, cup your um, hand and pump under your armpits. That will sort of even superpower a little bit of the lymphatic drainage that you'll experience. And the third thing is if you can top that up with a little bit of body oil massage, after you uh, you do it that can eat you know both relieve the skin and give it that in ayurveda we always do the the detox followed by a rasayana and the rasayana in this case would be the nourishing part of this i typically do it before i shower because um it gets rid of dead skin and then after my shower will remove uh, all the dead skin. And uh, I have a little bit of oil on that gets washed off with the shower. But it's um, it's something that is lovely in the morning because it energizes the body. And, you know, you can do it at night, but I do recommend it uh, preferably in the mornings. Um, in terms of the massages you mentioned, Ayurveda really emphasizes quote-unquote points in the body and much like a lot of um, uh, eastern sciences you see these reflected in other uh, Chinese medicine um, teachings and so forth but there's this concept of marma points in the body these are very important energy points in the body that when uh, massage slash triggered have benefits that go well beyond just the massage. Again, there are some that are located right near the jaw points. Um, they're um, under uh, under your chin. Um, they're easy to find and massaging them can actually help your facial massage or your body massage go that much more beyond because they will lead to a uh, a gentle but definite release of toxins from the body. So as you're massaging them, you're doing three or four things at once, and that can help your body massage, your hair massage, uh, go that much further. There are some in the feet. And even, you know, finding 20 or so that you want to really focus on in the day, at night, for instance, uh, focusing on the fleshy part of uh, between your thumb and your forefinger. There are some marma points you'll trigger here that will help bring your body into a balance of calm. Things like that will help and your skin will thrive when your body is calm. So just maybe take amping up your massage practice by looking up some of these things that are easy to find 
can um, can really help. And then, of course, massaging with your doshic oil. For vatas, I like sesame. For kaphas, um, I like sunflower. For vat pittas, I like uh, something like coconut. Um, can also take your practices beyond. Okay. I was going to ask you um, what your favorite oils were. Um, and you, you just guided me with a few of them. And I know you mentioned pomegranate oil earlier, but I want to give you space. Do you have any other favorite oils? Actually, I do. I'm sure you do. You are the queen of oils, which is why I feel I had to ask you. <laughs> and I appreciate your asking because, you know, the sesame, coconut and sunflower I recommended were definitely more in the body massage category. And uh, definitely because of the surface area, you're massaging more helpful um, in, uh, in bringing your doshic balance in. But, you know, we are more particular about facial skincare. And I do like things that are more non-comedogenic. So pomegranate, lovely universal facial skincare oil, grapeseed, great oil with a lot of omegas. Um, studies of people that have acne-prone skin has shown that their body doesn't make enough linoleic acid, which actually breaks up um, sebum's consistency. So their sebum tends to be thicker. That's why it traps more, uh, more um, oil slash dirt slash skin buildup leading to acne down the line. So grapeseed is a fantastic oil if you have facial, uh, you know, um, acne or build up. I love jojoba as well because it mirrors the texture of the skin. So it really rejuvenates the skin, is easier for skin to accept, but doesn't trigger overproduction of oil in the skin. If you're more of a vata type, now this is the one comedogenic oil that I actually like. It's rosehip oil. It's really, really wonderful for um, signs of quote unquote aging, thinness, dryness, etc. But it's more suitable for vata skin types because they're less likely to break out. Beautiful oil, but again, used with caution. Um, those are oils I love. I love avocado for very specific instances of, you know, if you're breaking up, if you're slightly more eczema prone. That's an oil that can help you. Uh, helichrysum tends to be another one for those. But I think that with pomegranate, um, grapeseed, jojoba, um, and, um, you know, rosehip, you're in very good facial uh, skincare territory. I mean, every oil you just mentioned is um, certainly on my list of favorites too. So we have a lot of overlap on our favorite ingredients there. Uh, the last section that I wanted to chat with you about is how you take care of yourself. Uh, we always start with beauty. So, you know, how or what does your beauty routine look like? You know, whether that be for skin, hair, makeup, however you want to take it. Skin care for me is a lot about keeping it simple because I know I would um, personally, I can't do something that's way involved, but I will with that said, I will not forego these foundational things that I will do, which is um, at night, it's usually a, a deepish cleanse with an oil cleanser followed by some sort of gommage slash exfoliant uh, cleanser. Um, 
things made with, you know, we make three in our, um, in the Uma lineup and all of them are gommages, which is I leave them on my skin for about 45 seconds and actually slough them off as a second cleanse. It, um, it cleans deeply, takes off everything that I don't need. And then, you know, um, if I have time, I'll mask with a bentonite clay mask. Uh, again, lots of nourishing things in there and then go to sleep with uh, a facial oil massage, uh, ideally used with a tool. So, you know, I'll gua sha, I'll use a Kansa wand, something like uh, that. If I get time after my uh, facial mask, I'll also ice my skin for about 30 seconds and just, um, you know, I end up using an ice cube. It really closes the capillaries for 30 seconds and then all the refreshed blood rushes back to the skin, really is nourishing, helps with eye bags, under eye issues. Uh, at night, I'll do a little bit of, uh, you know, also a self-massage with oil in terms of a beauty routine. But flash forward next morning, I will. I don't usually wash my face with a face wash. Sometimes if I feel like I'm feeling a little bit sticky, what I'll do is apply a layer of honey on my skin and step into the shower. Let the steam go to work and use it off uh, and take it off with a warm washcloth. I find that you know I'm not vegan, I'm vegetarian, have been all my life, but I do use honey and milk in my uh, in my skincare. And if uh, honey is something that you want to use, I find it very, very anti-inflammatory and helpful, both in, you know, sort of giving skin that beautiful glow immediately after. Then I apply oil. I always have used sunscreen, having grown up in India. And um, I don't wear makeup on most days, but I love um, some of the stuff from Ilya. Um, I think we talked about that, you know. I find, uh, love their uh, foundation and I love their mascara. It's, it's you know... It's the best. So a couple of things from um, from uh, their portfolio goes a long way in terms of makeup. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, I will use um, a few things. I, I will admit that sometimes I will go into sort of non-clean skincare with uh, with uh, with a Giorgio Armani lipstick or uh, or something here and there. Uh, but uh just like Ayurveda, it's all about balance for me. So if same here, I always say I'm the first to admit that I still have a, a Chanel lipstick that I just can't give up, and I have a few favorites that I just I always have. It's, I, you know, I feel the same way <laughs> exactly. If that you know lipstick lasts longer, or you know helps me reduce one product in having to use uh, my makeup all about balance. Um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, not eat some preservatives in my food, but go for that, uh, for that Armani or that Chanel lipstick um, as, as the need arises. And, you know, food wise, I, I try to as much as possible eat fresh. One of the things I do is try to drink lemon water, warm lemon, lukewarm lemon water first thing in the morning. I do find that helps. I'm of a pitta type and I, um, when I'm out of balance, I start my day with uh, soaked raisins and soaked almonds overnight, ideally organic. That really helps my body flush itself out of, you know, the imbalancing toxins that are leading to that uh, pitta imbalance. Um, 
I do yoga and Pilates more. I have found uh, it helps my body a little bit more um, in terms of well-being recently. But um, for my body type, uh, I do try to get in 15 minutes, three times a week of a quick run. That breaks up kapha, which sometimes from a sedentary lifestyle perspective uh, is super helpful to get that, you know, burst of exercise in. I think I think those are, you know, sort of some of the things I do try to get eight hours of sleep. I find I suffer. I mean, I know people who do who are fine on five, six hours and have very productive days, not me. So I I'm a huge fan of the eight hour um sleep ritual. But yes, brass stacks, you know, force myself to meditate when I can. And uh and that's about it, you know. Um that's it's not uh, it's not a very aspirational routine, but it works for me. I think that's pretty aspirational. <laughs> You're I'm, kind. Thank you. I do. I, I'm impressed. I mean, obviously, you're a woman who practices what she preaches, you know, um, and you really do try to keep keep it all in balance, which I certainly think is aspirational. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so, so fun. Um, you know, like I said, I've been lucky enough to know you for several years now. And every time I get to chat with you, I always look forward to it. And this episode did not disappoint as I knew it wouldn't. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. I cannot appreciate the opportunity. And for a long time, your support of us. I cannot say enough. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights, or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.